Elie Wiesel very famously wrote extensively and spoke many times about his special relationship with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Elie Wiesel and the Rebbe wrote many letters back and forth to each other. They spent many hours in Yechidus in private conversation. And we know about all of this from Elie Wiesel's own writings and from his own speaking engagements. He very famously once asked the Rebbe, how can a Jew believe in Hashem after the Holocaust? And the Rebbe very famously responded, how can a Jew not believe in Hashem after the Holocaust? Elie Wiesel told the Rebbe, if you're trying to answer my question, I don't accept it. But if you're trying to ask another, another question, then I do accept it. But on one particular occasion, Elie Wiesel told the Rebbe, he said, you know, Rebbe, there's something that I really, I'm really hoping you can do for me. There's something Elie Wiesel said to the Rebbe, I want to ask you for. And he said, ever since, may Hashem protect us, Elie Wiesel said, ever since my father was killed in front of me in Buchenwald, I've never been able to cry. The, the emotional trauma, the, the pain that I went through was so intense that I haven't been able really to, to, to cry because of this. He said to the Rebbe, if you can help me break through this internal emotional barrier and you can get me to a place where I can actually properly cry and grieve and, and be strong enough to even just experience the pain, he says to the Rebbe, I, I would be eternally grateful. And the Rebbe responded, Elie Wiesel writes, the Rebbe responded by saying that he, would not, that he, the Rebbe, would not be satisfied with simply teaching Elie Wiesel to cry. The Rebbe said, I want to, in addition, I want to also teach you to sing. In other words, I don't just want to empower you to be able to experience pain. I want to empower you to experience joy as well, notwithstanding everything that you've been through and the destruction, Rahman al-Islam, that you've seen. Why do I talk about this? In this week's Parsha and Parsha Shmois, the Rabbana Shalom comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, appears at the very famous burning bush, and he literally taps Moshe Rabbeinu on the shoulders and he says to him, look, and now you go, I'm going to send you to Paroi, and you're going to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. For seven days, Moshe Rabbeinu argues with Hashem that he doesn't want to be the one to do this. And generally speaking, Moshe Rabbeinu gives five reasons to Hashem why he shouldn't be the one to go and take the Jews out of Mitzrayim. Number one, Moshe says, first of all, me anoichi, who am I? Humility. Second of all, Moshe says, I'm not going in order, but second of all, Moshe Rabbeinu says, even if I do go to the Jews and tell them that it's time to come out of Mitzrayim, hein lo yaminuli, the Jews won't believe me. Thirdly, Moshe says, lo ish dvorim anoichi, I'm not an articulate man of words, I'm, I'm not a speaker, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm, not a present, I'm not a verbal presenter. Moshe Rabbeinu had that famous speech impediment. Fourthly, Moshe Rabbeinu said, shlachno biyad tishlach, there's different interpretations of what that means. On a simple level, Moshe Rabbeinu was just saying, look, Hashem, just send somebody else. <laughs> Maybe somebody who won't argue with you the way I do. The first time Hashem and Moshe spoke, they argued for seven days. On a deeper level, Shlach Tishlach, Moshe Rabbeinu told Hashem, just send Mashiach. For everything Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem has a response. 
When Moshe Rabbeinu says, Mi hu Hashem says, I'll go with you. When Moshe Rabbeinu says, the Jews are not going to believe me, Hashem gives Moshe Rabbeinu signs that he can use to prove his case to the Jews. When Moshe says, I'm not a man of words, Hashem says, what do you mean? I decide, says Hashem, who can communicate articulately, who can speak and who can't. When Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem, just send someone else, Hashem gets upset, even angry, whatever that means. But then at some point we find the second, actually, actually the second reason that Moshe Rabbeinu gives why he doesn't want to go to the Jews, we find something very, very strange. Moshe Rabbeinu says, says these words. He says, Let's assume for a second, says Moshe, that I accept and I do go to the Jews. And I come to them and I tell them, the God of your fathers has sent me and it's time to go out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, the Jews are going to ask me, Mashmoi. What is Almighty God's name? And I don't know what to say to them. And therefore, I don't want to go take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. And the commentaries are struck by this because of the entire seven-day argument and at least five-part conversation, this is the most difficult part to understand. Seems completely technical and irrelevant. Here's the breakdown. Number one, why would the Jews not know what it is Hashem's name is? Jews have known about Hashem for generations, from Avrom, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Everybody knows that Hashem, in fact, even Yosef, in the end of last week's parsha, tells the Jews that Hashem is going to one day take you out of Mitzrayim. So surely at this point they knew that Hashem had a name. Hashem has 72 names. Surely they knew some of them. Why would they ask what's Hashem's name? Question number one. And question number two, surely Moshe Rabbeinu knew some of Hashem's names. If the Jewish people were to ask him what's Hashem's name, he could just, just about, so to speak, pardon the expression, pick one from the hat, choose anyone you like. Hashem, Hashem, Kael, Rachum, Hanun, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, Vemes, whatever the case may be. Question three, why is Moshe Rabbeinu anticipating that the Jews are going to ask him what's Hashem's name? Even if the Jews somehow have forgotten, or I don't know, they don't know what Hashem's name is. This is going to be the first thing the Jews ask, what's Hashem's name? Who cares? Who cares what it is that, 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 that Hashem's name is? Why is Moshe been anticipating the Jews are going to ask this, even if they don't know? Question number four. Even if for some reason the Jews are going to ask this, and for some reason Moshe Ben is not going to know what to answer, so what? How is this relevant in the conversation between Hashem and Moshe when Hashem tells Moshe Ben, go take the Jews out of Mitzrayim? When Moshe Ben is going to say, I don't have the right color shoes, I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say when they ask me question X, Y, Z. Let's assume Moshe Ben doesn't know what to say. So what? So, so how is that? Re- Hashem says, I'm trying to take you, send you on a mission. Moshe Ben says, but I don't know how to answer all the questions. How is this particular question relevant to the mission? And how is this question, and how is the fact that if for some beyond logical reason Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know how to answer the question, the fact that he doesn't know how to answer it, why is that a reason why he shouldn't go take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim? And then question five, perhaps the most surprising part of this whole conversation, is that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu what to answer. In other words, if for whatever reason the Jews are going to rush and ask, what is Hashem's name? Because they won't know and they'll be bothered by it. And for some reason Moshe won't know what to answer. And for some reason this is some kind of obstacle in Moshe taking the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. Hashem tells Moshe, I'll tell you what to answer. What should you answer? 
we, we don't pronounce it. We don't pronounce Hashem's answer exactly as it's written because it's one of Hashem's names. Hashem tells him, tell them, Eke Asher Eke. And then they amend it, just Eke. And this has got to be the most puzzling part of the whole story. This name of Hashem, Eke Asher Eke, or Eke, doesn't appear anywhere in the Torah, to the best of my knowledge, not before this and not after this, never again. We don't hear of it or see it again. So actually, the answer that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to give to the Jews and with regard to Mashmoy is, is so obscure, this particular answer, that it's, it's never to be heard of again. Hashem is in the Torah. Hashem is never referred to, again, to the best of my limited knowledge, Hashem is never referred to again. Or if it is, very, very rare. All over the Torah Torah we find other names that are so incredibly common. Hashem, Alekim, they're used all the time. Ekasher, Ekah, barely ever, I don't think ever. And yet somehow that's the answer that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to give to this question. And after hearing that, Moshe Rabbeinu drops this part of the argument. He moves on to to argue other issues. In a very famous sicha, in a very famous talk of the Rebbe printed, in the Rebbe's collection of talks, in a book called Lakuta Sichas, volume 26, the Rebbe gave a gut-wrenching answer. When you read it, it, it sort of, you feel like your heart is being torn out of your chest as you read the words. The Rebbe said, I'll tell you what this means. He said, Hashem has many different names. Every name of Hashem represents a different character trait. That's why Hashem has different names. Because Hashem functions in so many different ways. So Hashem tells Moshe, go take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, if I accept your mission, and I go and tell the Jews the time of their exodus and the time of their redemption has arrived, the first question the Jews are going to ask me, excuse me, is what's God's name? Why? He says, the Jews, Moshe Rabbeinu says, the Jews are going to look at me and say, We've been here in Egypt for 210 years. We've been subjugated in a foreign land. We've been forced into back-breaking labor for decades. Lately, the Egyptians have decreed upon us that our babies, that our baby boys be ripped and torn out of, our, out of their mother's arms. If Jews do not finish laying enough bricks if there are gaps in the bricks and the walls that they're supposed to construct that day, the Egyptians, Rahman al-Islam, would take the Jewish children and shove them in the walls to fill the spaces. Rashi writes that Parai, who suffered from tsaras, some kind of ailment of the skin, was told by his doctors that the remedy for this is to bathe in the blood of Jewish babies. And so he would slaughter them and bathe in their blood. So says Moshe Rabbeinu to the Rabbani Shlodam, we're going to come to the Jews and tell them the hour of your redemption has arrived and the Jewish people are going to go, really? Where has Almighty God been for the past 210 years while we were being beaten and humiliated and tortured and, and worked to the brink of death and tortured and abused for the past 210 years. Mashmoy, what's the name of this God that allows all this to go on for so many years and all of a sudden one day shows up like a grand savior and says, okay, time for redemption. 
Time to end all the suffering. Time to go out of Mitzrayim. I'm going to take you to a promised land flowing in milk and honey. Wait a second, says Moshe Rabbeinu. The Jews are going to pound on the table and with tears in their eyes, they're going to scream and cry and say, what? Now you show up? Now you tell me it's time for me to be free? Now you all of a sudden remember that, remember that I'm a descendant of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? Mashmoi. What's the name of the God that allowed this type, of, this type of suffering to go on for so long and remain silent? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, this is going to be the first question the Jews are going to ask me when I show up to take them out of Mitzrayim. They'll say, where has this God been until now? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, he says to Hashem, what do you want me to tell them? I don't have an answer for this. I don't know what to say. So therefore, says Moshe, I refuse to be your shliach to go and take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. Because I don't know how to look them in the face and tell them that they've been suffering until this point and from now on it's time for them to be free. The Jews are going to say, why did we suffer until now? <laughs> now that's a question. They're going to ask me, says Moshe, which quality of Almighty God allowed the Jews to suffer this way until now? I have no answer, so I'm not going. And so just for one moment, the Rabbeinu Shalom equips Moshe with a response. And the response, perhaps, in Elie Wiesel's words, is not an answer to the question, but another question. And the response says Hashem to Moshe is Eke Asher Eke. Which means, says Hashem to Moshe, go and tell the Jews that for the rest of Jewish history, for the future and for the past, let them never think that when they suffer, they're suffering alone. When a Jew suffers, when a Jew is in pain, the Rabboni Shlolem suffers in the same Golos, together along with them. Let the Jews never think that I abandoned them even for a moment. For every time a Jew feels the sting, feels the abuse of Golos, Hashem says, I'm suffering right there together with them. Now, how does that help? <laughs> we don't know. We're mere mortals. We're not given the wisdom into understanding why the Rabboni Shloylam does these things. But it is the answer. It's the answer that Moshe Rabbeinu accepts, and apparently to some degree even the Jews accept. They understood that they never suffered alone. And that's the meaning of this part of the conversation. I only want to conclude with a harrowing story in the Gemara. I'm going to say it very briefly, if you want to look, at, look this up. It's in Mesechta Chagiga Daf Tesvavom and Beis. The Gemara there is talking about a very famous Tana called Elisha ben Avuya, also known as Acher. He was the one sage of the Mishnah, of all the thousands of sages on the Mishnah of the Gemara, excuse me, who actually veered off the path of Judaism and, and, and became a heretic and, according to some opinions, a violent Jew hater. He only had, the Gemara says, Elisha ben Avuya, also known as Acher, only had one student who continued repeating Torah in his name, even after Elisha ben Avuya Acher went off the path and it was Rab Meir. And the Gemara says, Rabbi Barshila, one of the sages of the Gemara, once met Elio Anovi, Elijah the prophet. And he asked Elijah, you mean Elijah the prophet in the street, what are you going to ask him? He asked Elijah, what does God do all day? <laughs> How does he keep busy? Listen to this. 
Eliyahu Anavi said, the Rabbana Shalolam Almighty God sits and studies Torah. But he doesn't just sit and study Torah. He sits and studies the Torah of the Tanoim and Amiroim of the sages of the Mishnah of the Gomorrah. He quotes the halachic teachings in their name. And he quotes everybody, except Rab Meir. Because Rab Meir still continues to study Torah and to quote this man, Elisha ben Avuya, for whom the Chachamim had so much disdain because of the terrible spiritual path that he chose. Almighty God refuses to repeat Torah in the name of Rab Meir, for he still continues to study and quote from quote, quote Elisha ben Avuya. So Rabbi Barshila, hearing this from Elio Anovi, defends Rab Meir. He says, what do you mean? Rab Meir can be compared to a man who was walking and found a pomegranate. He threw away the shell, he threw away the peel, and he ate the inside of the fruit. Rab Meir is able to distinguish between those parts of Elisha ben Avuya that are good and those parts that are not good. He's able to extract the Torah and leave out the, the, the spiritual perversion. He can distinguish between the two, and that's why Rab Meir does this. All right, says Elio Anovi, Almighty God accepts your justification, your explanation for what Rab Meir does. And he'll now begin to quote teachings in the name of Rab Meir. And here's the first teaching that the Rabbeinu Shlolem quoted in the name of Rab Meir after he was convinced that it's okay to quote Rab Meir, despite the fact that Rab Meir was still, still quoting Elisha ben Avuya, because Rab Meir had the ability to distinguish between a fruit and a peel. Quote, Bizman says the Rabbi Shalom in the name of Rab Meir, who's still studying Torah from Elisha ben Avuya, a, great, the, a person who was the great Russia. Quote, when a person is in pain, when a Jew suffers, what does the Rabbi Shalom say? In what words does Almighty God express himself? Quote, Kalani Meiroshi, Kalani Mizroi, Almighty God cries, I have pain in my head and I have pain in my arms. When a Jew suffers, Almighty God suffers together with them, concludes the Talmud. If this is true even concerning the blood of evil people, meaning I assume through regard to Elisha ben Avuya, if even Elisha ben Avuya could be understood to be a person in pain, a pain which Almighty God felt, how much more so Doman Shal Tzadikim, how much more so when the blood of innocent Tzadikim is spilled, does the Rabbani Shalom suffer together along with them? Once again, I insist, it's not meant to justify. It's not meant to explain. It's not meant to give an answer to the unanswerable question. But it is meant to give us a dose and an element of reassurance to remind us that the Rabbani Shalom has never forgotten and the Rabbani Shalom has never abandoned. And for whatever, if for whatever divine reason we need to go through this, then please God with Hashem's help, Almighty God will see to it that the Jewish people will emerge victorious and the Jewish people will emerge free and the Jewish people will rise and with Hashem's help emerge all the way till they go to Eretz Yisrael, to the land flowing with milk and honey, please God, with the coming of our righteous Redeemer Mashiach. May it be speedily in our days. Amen.